So hello and welcome to Coco Pods, a podcast of the Broad Center for Natural Deliveries Foundation. My name is Dr. Bola Sogade, and I'm the host of this public education podcast. And our Broad Center Foundation is located in Forsyth, Georgia. And today we are lucky and fortunate to be talking to Dr. Mona Patel. She has a doctorate of optometry. She is in the Panama City Beach, Florida area. So welcome Dr. Mona to Cocoa Pods podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. You know, before we delve into a unique aspect of your personal life, let's talk about your professional life. We know that during pregnancy, a woman's body undergoes a great deal of change. But to you, my listeners out there, did you know that even a woman's eyes change as well with pregnancy? Yes, the eyes change as well with pregnancy. So pregnancy results in various changes to all systems within the body, including the visual system. And Dr. Patel is the expert on that. So can you please explain to us how pregnancy can cause eyesight changes or problems? Sure. So it's very common for women who are pregnant to notice that their vision is changing, for their vision to become blurry, their eyes to become dry, irritated. You know, hormonal changes are usually the cause for a lot of this. The changes in vision can sometimes be pretty drastic where it can affect their quality of life. Dry eyes too, if they wear contacts or they work on the computer for long periods of time, they'll find that their eyes will dry out. So these changes usually aren't permanent. They are transient. A lot of times after they have the baby or or whatnot, the hormones kind of settle back down and their vision tends to go back to normal. Or sometimes it stays, you know, with the prescription changes and such. Yeah, thank you. So just to recap, what are some of the normal changes that happen to your eyes during pregnancy? And what is the most common change? The most common change I would say is blurred vision, blurred vision, and many different causes for the blurred vision. Usually it's because fluid changes with the hormonal changes will cause changes in the cornea, the thickness, sometimes astigmatic changes because the cornea changes shape. So we'll get blurry vision through that. Sometimes you become a little bit more nearsighted, a little bit more farsighted, but blurry vision is the number one reason why pregnant women come in complaining about their eyes. You kind of alluded to, there are three main parts of the eyes affected by pregnancy. And you mentioned the cornea, the retina, and even some fluid in the eyes. Can you just tell us in layman's terms what these areas are in the eyes? Sure. So when the cornea has a lot of fluid through all the different layers of it. So that's when, if you get excess fluid uptake, you'll get some thickening of the cornea, which can make you more or less nearsighted or make you have astigmatism that you didn't have before. Sometimes you can get fluid changes in the retina and the different layers of the retina. So that can change how you see, whether if it's in the macula or such. Fluid changes in that can cause pressure changes. So patients who have glaucoma might find that their pressure drops all of a sudden, or we get low eye pressures, which isn't usually a huge concern unless they have glaucoma, which makes it harder to track if they're getting changes to their, their glaucoma status. Because if their pressures were low, all of a sudden we don't know, are they truly low or are they just low because of the pregnancy? So it's generally not recommended to have new contact 
lens fitting or new glasses prescription checks until several months after the baby is born. Is this a thing? Is this a fact? And again, explain to us why is this? So that's what they commonly say, but I'll be honest, if I can't see clearly, I can't drive to work. I can't drive to my doctor's appointments. So more often than not, I will do temporary changes to prescriptions. As long as I don't have any other type of issues going on, I wouldn't do a brand new contact lens fit, meaning a, someone who's never worn them before. I wouldn't start trying to fit new contacts, but if they already wear contacts and they're noticing they've had a, a few diopter shift in their prescription and you know they still have to go to work and work on the computer and go to their doctor's appointments and pick up their other kids from school, then I'll go ahead and do a temporary change to the prescription and have them come back every few months to check it to make sure that it, it's not shifted back or shifted some more. Sometimes that's easier to do with contacts than it is glasses. But typically I I won't do any permanent changes, not any type of new contact lens fittings. You know, I wouldn't recommend they go buy a year's supply of contacts or, or some expensive glasses with all the options because chances are after they have the baby within the next couple months, few months, their prescription is probably going to change back. But I also don't leave people blurry. If they have a significant change, we make sure that the eye looks healthy. And then, then I'll do a temporary change to the prescription because we all need to kind of visually function. (laughs) All right. You know, when a woman, especially if she has high blood pressure, and protein in her urine. And in obstetrics, that's a condition that we call one of the pregnancy-related hypertensive changes like preeclampsia. So if a woman has high blood pressure and protein in her urine and complains of changes to her vision, we as obstetricians, we must take this seriously. How does diabetes and preeclampsia, how do they both affect the retinal changes of pregnancy. So when with high blood pressure, we worry about vascular changes. So, you know, the blood vessels can change in the eye and the rest of the body when you have high blood pressure or the pressure staying high for long periods of time. So that's why it's important if, if you have someone that has preeclampsia and that is complaining about vision changes that they have a, a full dilated exam to make sure there's no blood vessels that are, we're worried about strokes and anything like that. With diabetes, most pregnant patients are fairly young, so they haven't been diabetic for years and years because diabetes is one of those things that a diabetic eye disease occurs with them time of high blood sugar. But I have found that my type one diabetics do develop diabetic retinopathy sometimes. And a lot of times it does get reabsorbed after they have the baby but I'm usually more concerned about my patients who've been diabetic for a longer period of time or type one diabetics. And we worry that they do have diabetic changes, bleeding in the eye, deposits forming inside the eye that could potentially cause vision changes also. So diabetics definitely need to have their vision checked while they're pregnant. And especially, especially if they just have vision changes or shifts in their vision. Now you mentioned the word diabetic retinopathy. Can you just explain that to us in, and you did sort of in your explanation, but can you tell us again, what is diabetic retinopathy? So diabetic retinopathy is a retinal disease where you get bleeding, blood vessels bleed out, you get lipids and exudates that form into the retina and you'll get fluid uptake sometimes in the macular. So you get vision changes due to that. Those changes, if they're permanent, can 
cause vision loss and cause permanent vision loss. But if those diabetic changes are not checked and, and properly treated, then we can end up with permanent vision loss with diabetes. So sometimes occasionally they need to be lasered and such if it's something that's more severe. Wow. And you kind of answered my next question a little bit. You know, in my career, I have seen a woman go blind. I mean, completely blind immediately after delivering her baby. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've, I've practiced obstetrics for a while. I mean, you know, just from your point of view, could you explain to us in layman's terms for our listeners, what could be at play here when a woman delivers a baby and develops complete blindness in the delivery room? So many times that could be vascular. So cortical blindness caused by vascular changes. Once again, if you have someone who had preeclampsia or high blood pressure, retinal detachments can occur. A lot of times retinal detachments that occur with pregnancy are not the same type of retinal attachments that occur otherwise that separation due to the fluid, you get a separation in the layers of the retina and that will cause the vision to change, aka blindness or not being able to see. And that can resolve with time, the diabetes, but a woman that complains of not being able to see at all, we really worry about vascular issues and trying to determine if there's a vascular cause and see if that can be reversed. Right. And in my career, that woman, this happened in a setting of a severe preeclampsia, which has a vascular underlay to mm-hmm. the causation of that. And then just on this topic, I just wanted to say that, you know, in some cases, a woman may have blurry vision or spots in front of her eyes while she's pregnant. And these symptoms can be caused by an increase in blood pressure during pregnancy and at excessive levels high blood pressure can cause retinal detachment, which is what you talked about. And this can lead to complete loss of vision, mm-hmm. also known as blindness. Mm-hmm. And then you're just going to the other issue of the pressure in the eye. So, you know, in this podcast, we talked a lot about high blood pressure, which people know more, and that is systemic blood pressure. That is high blood pressure, in the blood systems of the body. We've Mm -hmm. talked about pulmonary hypertension, high blood pressure in the blood vessels of the lungs. And now I want to talk about another kind of pressure, which is how does pregnancy affect eye pressure? How do you label that? What is it called? So eye pressure is the movement of fluid within the eye. So the intraocular pressure, you know, if you get too much fluid moving into the eye, but not enough moving out, then the pressure in the eye goes up and then that increase in pressure can lead to glaucoma. So during pregnancy, they actually don't know why, but you do get a drop in pressure. So for the average person, that really isn't a huge deal where it becomes an issue is if you have somebody who has been diagnosed with glaucoma, it's hard to monitor their glaucoma now because you don't know if that drop in pressure is due to the drops they're taking or the treatment that they're on, or if it's due to the pregnancy, is it enough of a drop? Do we, are we worried about damage occurring these nine months where we can't have a true reading of their pressure? Thank you for that. But just before we move away with glaucoma, you know, glaucoma is commoner in older women. And nowadays women, I mean, we see older women being pregnant because for one reason or the other, their career and you know, just being in school for a long time. So glaucoma is more common in people over the age of 40 
but it has been reported to occur roughly in two to three percent of pregnant adults. And you did say that there is a treatment, though it can be difficult in pregnancy because we are not sure of mechanisms. Correct. Yeah. So we don't. We're not really sure if the pressure drop through with the drops that we prescribe is if it's the drops working or if it's the pregnancy related pressure drop. And then if it's pregnancy related, is that an adequate pressure drop for the ocular system to be preventing um, nerve damage, which is what you get when high pressure, you end up with nerve damage, which is what makes glaucoma dangerous. It kind of confounds us because we don't, we're not sure how much to bring that pressure down and, and how stable it's going to be and what that decrease is really due to. So a woman with glaucoma, what would she present with? What would she tell her doctor that is going on with her eyes, for instance? So to be honest, glaucoma is a very much a silent eye disease. So most of the eye patients that I have diagnosed with glaucoma don't have any symptoms. It's usually, you know, we notice their peripheral vision might not be intact 100% or their nerve looks suspicious for some degeneration or their pressure is running a little bit higher than normal. So if a woman has glaucoma or she's high risk for glaucoma and she comes in for an eye exam and her pregnancy has caused that decrease in pressure, she might get missed. You know, the diagnosis might get missed because someone might look at that case and say, oh, well, her pressures are in the, in the low teens, which is absolutely normal. Whereas she might've been mid twenties if she wasn't pregnant. But for the most part, unless they have extremely high pressures, which is, you know, rare forms of glaucoma, it's rare to really come in with any types of symptoms of glaucoma. It's mostly found on comprehensive eye exams, which is why it's important to have your yearly eye exam because so many things are found that are asymptomatic that are silently kind of causing your vision to decline, but you don't know it just based off symptoms. It's actually signs that we find in our exams. Wow. Wow. Thank you. That's funny because in systemic high blood pressure, hypertension, it's also a silent illness. Most people don't know they have it until they go Mm -hmm. for their physical exam and their doctor or their provider does the vital signs and sees that the blood pressure is elevated. So this is a good call. You know, we're talking to Dr. Mona Patel, a good call to please get your eye exams done. I know a lot of people try to get their annual exams. They come to me for their pap smears, but don't forget to get your eye exams done. And just coming from that a little bit, when should somebody start their annual eye exam and how frequently should they get their eyes checked? So annual eye exams, I recommend starting at six months because even, you know, as young as babies can have congenital glaucoma, congenital cataracts, they can have strabismus, which is eye turns and such. So you want to start having your eyes checked at a very, very young age before things get missed. When they start school, you don't want there to be visual issues that might've been caught when they were toddlers. So when they're young, I say every year. And then once my adults get to be about 30 to 40, sometimes I give them a little bit of leeway. They don't wear contacts and they have minor prescriptions, no health problems, no medications. Then I say every two years is fine for about another decade. And then starting at 50 again, I say that it's back to yearly because you just wow. never know what might pop up after wow. 50. Thank you. So if a woman has a pre-existing or new disease of the eye, could it progress in pregnancy? 
Oh, of course. Things like diabetes, especially we find progresses while you're pregnant. I've had patients that I see yearly for their diabetic check while they're pregnant. We'll check them more often because we'll find that there's diabetic changes. Same thing with blood pressure because vascular, if you already have high blood pressure or you're prone to having high blood pressure, then you're more prone to having vascular changes in your retina. So if you do have pre-existing conditions, it is definitely a good idea to have your eyes checked at least once throughout your pregnancy. If you're asymptomatic more often, if you have any types of symptoms like blurry vision or, or, or whatnot. And what are some of the tips that a woman or anybody could do to prevent vision loss or declining vision? What are some things that we could do apart from getting our eyes checked frequently by a professional like you? What other things could we do? So a healthy lifestyle, any type of movement is good movement, exercise, walking daily, you know, it doesn't have to be an hour in the gym, but even going for a walk after dinner or, or a couple of quick 10 minute walks, parking your car at the end of the parking lot. So you walk a little bit extra to get into the grocery store and then eating healthy. We can never discount the importance of our, our leafy greens, eating the rainbow, meaning, you know, your colored peppers and purple like plants and, and green Brussels sprouts. The more variety that you eat of your fruits and vegetables, the healthier you'll be. You know, keeping our sugars and, and simple carbs down is always good. And then not smoking and staying away from secondhand smoke is very important because smoking ages you. And most, mm. if not many, many eye diseases are caused by aging and premature aging of the eye. So you talked about diet and vegetables. Are there any particular vegetables that are good for eye health in particular? I mean, people like to say that carrots are good for your eye health. I mean, I think carrots are good at carrots, you know, peppers, because they have a lot of luteins and xanthophils and such. Leafy greens are always good. You know, your spinach and your kale. And I say variety, all the rainbow that you can eat, everything, tomatoes, you know, as many different colored variety of things you can eat in there, fruits and vegetables that are fresh is good for you. And so are there things that are bad for your eye health? I mean, for instance, it's smoking bad or very bad for your eye health. Can you touch smoking on that? Mm -hmm. Smoking is terrible. Unfortunately, for many of our patients who have macular degeneration, they have a long-standing history of smoking. So they're unfortunately unable to take the vitamins and such sometimes because they've smoked for so many years that help slow the progression of macular degeneration. And then cataracts, any type of macrogeneration, any type of aging type of eye ocular diseases are exacerbated by smoking. So smoking is not good for a lot of reasons, especially when you're pregnant and then, you know, up for your lungs and such and for your vascular system. So it's just not a good habit to get into. And if you do smoke, it's definitely never too late to stop. And how about protective eyewear? How important should those be in protecting one's eye health? So if you do any type of high-risk job where you're around, you know, flying metal, things that like welding, any of that, polycarbonate eyewear, safety glasses is a must. I must dig out metal shards out of people's eyes on a weekly basis. Maybe it's because we've had a lot of hurricanes and such in the area, you know, people in their backyard trying to, to do repairs and they forget to put on their protective eyewears or sawing things, but you don't want that getting into your eyes. And then sunglasses. UV protection, especially if you live in the South, like we do, you want to have a good pair of sunglasses that wraps that protects you from UVA and UVB rays. 
So is there any other advice? Some people say, you know, if you spend a lot of time, computer screen time, give your eyes a rest. Some, you know, there are all kinds of things out there. I mean, what else would you recommend to people for better eye health? So if you're on the computer for a long period of time, that's actually very stressful to your visual system. So I always tell everyone the 2020 rule. So look at something 20 feet away every 20 minutes for 20 seconds. And that helps your visual system keep being able to see distance and all the way up close. A lot of times computer users will complain that, you know, if they've been on the computer for eight hours a day and haven't taken many breaks, that everything seems blurry when they leave to go home from work. That's because their visual system is overstressed at that two feet, three feet distance, because that's where they've been at all day. So when you try to focus on something 20 feet away every so often, that helps that visual system stay strong. Well, thank you. It looks like you talked about the 20-20-20 rule. Mm-hmm. And, and that is every 20 minutes, look away about 20 feet in front of you for 20 seconds. And this short exercise like you said, can reduce eye strain. And we also tell people, clean your hands and your contact lenses properly and listen to a podcast like this instead of staring at the computer all the time to keep your eyes safe. Yeah, definitely, for sure. (laughs) Now, how about color vision changes? Do pregnant women see colors differently in pregnancy? I'm not sure. Like, I think when you have fluctuating hormones and fluctuating fluids in your body that you will have women that'll say that colors look different to them. I haven't, my personally been able to elicit any type of color vision changes in women, but color vision changes are, are more rare in females than they are in males. So we do oftentimes get women that'll say, you know, the hormone changes or fluid changes has caused their perception of colors to be a little bit different. And there's no known answer, I guess, as to why that happens. One of those mysteries. So, you know, before we leave this topic to get to the second segment of our podcast, and, you know, we're talking to Dr. Mona Patel. Dr. Patel has a doctorate in optometry. She is an expert on this topic, and we're grateful that she's come to Coco Pod's podcast today. And so are there any parting words of advice you would give women and or pregnant women about their eye health, at least for those nine months in which they're pregnant before we leave this topic? Sure. You know what? Get your eyes checked. If anything seems off, mention it to your OB, go to your eye doctor. I think as women, we tend to discount, oh, it'll go away. You know, oh, it'll be better next time I go. No, you need to call your doctor if you think that things aren't right. If you know, if you have blurry vision, you're seeing spots, something doesn't feel right. Anything that seems off, you need to let your OB know and go see your eye doctor and just make sure that you're okay. Make sure there's nothing serious going on. Wow, thank you. So, you know, Dr. Patel, there's something special about you, actually, that drew attention to me. And I want to give this short introduction. You know, the rarest combination of twins is the mono-mono twins. We call them the mono-amniotic, mono-chorionic twins. These types of twins share everything, the placenta, the sac, what we call the chorion. And you had a set of twins twice following each other spontaneously. I did. Can you tell us about that life experience? Your poor husband, but please, can you tell us about that? Sure. So 
We had two sets of spontaneous fraternal twins. They are fraternal, although they look very much alike. It almost looks like I have quadruplets because they are now 11 and 13. They're about two and a half years apart. So they're starting to like look similar. And it was a big surprise. The first time it was a very fun surprise. I went to, you know, I was the typical year late, took a couple of pregnancy tests and they were inconclusive. So I didn't know what to do with that. So I called my OB and she's like, oh, we worked at the same hospital. I worked at the same hospital as my OB. So she's like, just run up and come in and let's take a look. So she did a blood test and she's like, hmm, something doesn't seem right. And we did an ultrasound, even though it was only a, maybe few weeks along, four or five weeks along, no heartbeats even. And she told me we were having twins. And so the first thing I did was I grabbed the picture and ran down to tell my husband who was also working at the same hospital as a fellow. And I couldn't wait to tell him. And first thing I did was I hand him the pictures of you know, two little sacks. And his first response is, oh my gosh, it's a boy. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, went to med school. Like, how do you think these two little socks are boys, right? There's not even a heartbeat. Once I told him that we're having twins, we were super excited, super excited. We had no idea what to expect because we don't know anyone with twins at the time, but we proceeded to have a pretty healthy pregnancy. I went to term. I did have some, you know, hospital bed rests along the way, just because the body's getting used to growing two babies, but we had two five pound babies and went home in two days. So, ah. so but, but you, you gloss over that very quickly. People tell me, oh, I wish I had twins. I wish I was having twins. I mean, how easy is it to carry a twin pregnancy? So that was not easy. <laughs> I was determined to work and be functional through the whole pregnancy. But about 19, 20 weeks, I started having contractions like Braxton Hicks. And so my OB put me on bed rest. I did have to go on bed rest at about 20 weeks. And I just grew and grew. And I'm actually a pretty small, petite person. I think I started out weighing 95 pounds. I'm five foot three and I gained 55 pounds of all baby. I was pretty large (laughs) and it was very uncomfortable, but for my first pregnancy, because I didn't have to worry about any other children and I got to spend a lot of it at home. I really, truly enjoyed it. The aches and pains were there, but I really tried to enjoy every minute of it. At the time, I figured that was it. I mean, I was having two babies. I didn't think we'd be having any more. So I'm like, well, I'm going to milk this, eat ice cream when I can, try to be as healthy as possible. So yeah, it wasn't easy, but it was fun too. And then you also had that upbeat attitude. I mean, that helps with the whole process, right? I know, you know, pregnancy can be difficult for some women, but also the attitude that you bring into the pregnancy goes a long way, right? Oh, I I definitely believe that. Mindset is everything. If you are happy about it and you try to make the best of it and try to see the good in it, then that's your experience, right? So I, I think that that helped a lot because I was just excited to be a mom and I was excited to have these two little boys and it was a fun experience. I just, I guess I couldn't wait to get to the next step of having them. Right. And so before we go on, I just want to say that, you know, having two sets of which your twins were not identical. They were not, as you said, but having two sets of identical twins while not unheard of is rare. And while the odds of having identical twins the first time is about one in 250, the Odds of having a second set of identical twins is one in 70,000. 
but you had another pregnancy mm-hmm. and were you I, just expecting like one little girl and then I was you were expecting done? a girl yes I was like <laughs> I have my two boys the universe is gonna bless me with a little girl but I do recall my first OB, I ended up moving away from New Orleans. That's where I had my first set of twins. And I do recall my OB reminding me, don't forget you have fraternal twins means you have a high risk for having fraternal twins again. But in my sleepless state, I must have missed that information. (laughs) So lo and behold, I'd been here in Panama City Beach for about a year before I found out I was expecting another set of twins. And so this time I can't say I was as excited and ecstatic. My initial reaction was shock. I actually literally walked out of the doctor's office. I left my other twins. I left my husband and I walked out and I just, I don't know what I was thinking. I just walked out to the car and I was just standing by the car and my husband made my follow-up appointment, grabbed my two little two-year-olds who are the terrible twos, wrecking havoc in the doctor's office. But I think because I have that upbeat attitude, I kind of just went to bed thinking what's going to happen. And I woke up just ready. I woke up. The first thing I told, I rolled over. I told my husband, I got this. I did it once. I could do it again. And my husband and I decided that the second time we would hire a nanny and we would, you know, try to make things a little bit easier on us since we already have two two two-year-olds. And we were lucky. We had a nanny that's still a part of our life. She's a part of our family that, you know, she doesn't really watch the boys anymore, but she comes by all the time to visit them. And every now and then, you know, will help me out when I'm in a bind, but she's like a grandma to them. And we were even doubly blessed. And that second pregnancy actually was fairly easy. I had a scheduled C-section date at 37 weeks and I walked in ready to bring home two more babies. So you didn't want to push this time around? Is that, oh, well, I couldn't, I couldn't. I had it. After my first C-section, they told me I couldn't have a VBAC. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So that, wow. Wow. This is great. So, you know, I mean, if you were going to just encourage or advise a woman out there, because some women really have very bad nausea and vomiting that is exaggerated more than usual, more than if they were having one baby when they have twin pregnancy, especially in the first trimester towards the beginning of the second trimester. I mean, what are some of the coping techniques that you used that worked for you that could be helpful to another woman that is thinking, oh my goodness, I'm alone in this. What do I do? I had pretty bad morning sickness with both of mine into the first couple of weeks of my second trimester. And the most important thing is that even if you're not hungry and you're feeling nauseous to to eat, to eat small amounts throughout the day, because as soon as I would get super hungry or my stomach would be empty, that's when I would want to vomit and be even sicker. So just eating light throughout the day helped a lot and staying distracted. That helped me quite a bit because during my first pregnancy, I was still working full time. I was at a teaching hospital. So I was always talking to residents. I was always talking to my patients. So anytime I felt nauseous, I would just try to distract myself a little bit. And that helped a lot. The second time I was home with my toddlers. So I would, anytime I was starting to feel nauseous, I would read to them. That always kind of helped. We would cuddle into bed and just read together. And that kept my mind off of things. We'd play games. So I think trying to make sure you eat often, drink, sip on water because you don't want to get dehydrated and just keeping your mind a little busy and not fix any, hopefully on that 
part where you're not feeling well, the distraction helps keep the food down a little bit because both times I had issues with gaining weight the first trimester because all your everything I would eat wouldn't stay down. Wow. So in the second trimester, you had the contractions, the premature contractions, and we obstetricians are always afraid of a premature contraction becoming a premature labor, mm-hmm. which could become a premature delivery. So what are some of the, and you talked about, you know, bed rest, but what are some of the ways in which you coped with the premature contractions in both of your pregnancies that were both twin boys? So my first pregnancy, I was in and out of the hospital quite a bit because my OB was really worried. She didn't know if it was going to be real contractions or if they were false contractions. So I think I was admitted several times before she finally took me off of work and had me staying at home. And less movement helped, although I had to be still like I needed to sit on the couch. I needed to not constantly be moving and at the gym and working out. And, but I I would have to tell myself, well, you have babies that are cooking. You need to chill out a little bit. So that helped the second time around my OB was more understanding. He knew that two, two year olds that were pretty rambunctious And so he and I made a deal every 15 minutes on my feet meant 15 minutes down sitting. You know, he's like, if you're running around with them for 15 minutes, then you got to sit down with your feet up on the couch, you know, elevated for 15 minutes. And that worked well. We never had to go into the hospital. I already knew that I had those false contractions. So he had the, he had the knowledge of knowing that this starts around 19, 20 weeks for me. And I was okay the first time. So he kept it closer. You know, I had to go in every week, but I didn't end up in the hospital every single time that they elevated like that. So that was nice. I mean, were your legs swollen? Were they terribly swollen? Did you have to have compression stockings or special socks? I didn't. No. I mean, the first time I, the first time I was very swollen. And then after I delivered, I swelled up big time, a, a lot of fluid. And it took about a couple of weeks for me to release all that fluid. So I had a lot of fluid issues with the first one, but the second one, I think my body was primed for it. I still kept moving, even though I was supposed to be off my feet a little bit. I think the little bit of movement that I kept up helped me not get too swollen too. And I would keep my feet elevated too, so that I wouldn't swell too badly. And then, I mean, just you followed up with your regular OB visits. You did a lot of hydration. I'm just looking at all the things that helped you going through this phase of your life. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm a big water drinker. I drink a gallon of water every day. So I drink a lot of water as it is. And then healthy eating. I mean, we all want to indulge, but I was very mindful as to how much I indulge. You know, I didn't, I have a sweet tooth, but I didn't eat all the sweets in the world. I still was very mindful of keeping my healthy diet up and not using pregnancy as an excuse to just eat whatever I want all the time. Well, we're so fortunate to have Dr. Mona Patel here. She's an optometrist. She's a mother of two sets of twins and a wife. And we're just so grateful that you were able to come on CocoaPods podcast today and just share your life experience with women. And I'm sure this will encourage a woman out there. And so in closing, I want you to, you know, just put everything together for us. If a woman finds herself having twins first time and maybe twins again (laughs) the next time back to back and what advice in closing would you give to them (laughs) you know what you need to ask for help when you need help you don't have to do it all yourself so whether it's friends 
family, whether if you have the means to hire someone, Facebook and other like social media sites are great for having groups where you can ask questions or just vent sometimes because your husband might not know how you feel when your feet are swollen and you have two little humans growing inside of you and and they're moving around and jumping around and you have heartburn, but other pregnant women know how you feel. I wasn't fortunate enough to have, or maybe I just didn't really look to see, I wasn't on social media much when I was pregnant, but I joined a lot of these groups later. And so every now and then I still jump on them and read what people are saying and I'll throw in some advice or some encouragement. So there's always people out there willing to help you out and encourage you and give you a a lending shoulder or ear to vent. And so utilize people that want to help you out. You don't have to do it all yourself. There were times I tried to do more than I should have. And I probably would have enjoyed spending more time with my babies if I didn't try to control all the situations. So ask for help, then you'll definitely enjoy it a little bit better for sure. Wow. Thank you so very much for your time today. Thank, thank you, you for everything. I know this is a busy period of time, but thank you so much for coming on Coco Pods podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. It was good to see you again. Good to see you.